Well, let me, let me share some, a very important truth with you tonight. Turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. I want to help you tonight. I really, I really want to help you. I just really had a stirring in my heart to teach on this uh, tonight. So let's go to Mark chapter 4. And, and let's begin reading with verse 1. And I'm going to read out of the New American Standard Bible. The New American Standard Bible, known as the NASB. Uh, they're all wonderful translations, but I, I just like the way this one read on this particular passage. Mark chapter 4, verse number 1. Jesus began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to hear him. Notice that. Jesus attracted large crowds. People say, well, I don't like a big church. Well, heaven's going to be a difficult place for you. And such a very, and a, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, verse 3, listen to this, he said. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7, Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Verse 8, other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up, they increased, and they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. How many of you have heard this passage before? That's a neat passage. I love it. This is a very familiar parable of Jesus, a very familiar parable of Jesus. It is a parable that relates to each one of us continually. It's not just a good story from the past. Each time I do my devotions, every day when I do my personal devotions, every time I come to church, whether I'm preaching or I'm not preaching, teaching or not teaching, every time I go to my life group, our life group, or every time I go to a Bible class, or every time I go to a conference, or every time I go to a training session, every time I hear somebody teach the Word of the Lord, I fall into one of these four categories. Jesus talks about four categories. Tonight, you will be able to locate yourself which category you are in. There's not five or six categories. Every time you and I hear the Word of the Lord, we will fall into one of these four categories. There's not five and there's not six. There's only four. So every service that I go to or every Bible study or life group meeting, when I hear the word of the Lord taught, I recognize I'm going to fall somewhere into these one of these four categories. Now here's the thing you and I must understand. The understanding of this parable explains how the kingdom of God operates. This parable is so important, it also lays a foundation for all the other parables. Listen, if you don't understand this parable, you won't be able to understand how God works. And the reason most Christians get all squirrely about God, get mad at God, 
doesn't understand why he, some things happened and some things didn't happen, why they blame God a lot is because they don't understand this parable. God does not operate differently than what this parable explains. This is the way God's modus operandi, his system operates. It's the way he's always operated. It's the way he will continue to operate. In fact, look with me real quickly at Mark chapter 4 verse 10 again. Look at verse 10. As soon as Jesus was alone, he just taught this. And as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, notice what he says to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Other words, they might return and be forgiven. Verse 13. Notice what he said. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? He says, If you can't understand this parable, how will you understand all the parables? In other words, this is the key one. This is the one that you get. You, we must grab hold of and learn and let it become part of our spiritual formation and the foundation on which we are Christians. This parable right here. Jesus says that this parable carries more weight than just a good lesson learned about a story from agriculture. See, if we're just casually reading it, we'll say here where a man went out to sow the seed. Well, that's a farmer. He went out to sow seed. And people think, well, that's a good story about agriculture. And that's what farmers do. But this is more than that. This is a story that illustrates the whole purpose for the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God operates. And he does it in a parable. What's a parable? A parable is a short allegorical story that teaches a spiritual truth. It's just a story that teaches a spiritual truth. That's what a parable is. There are writers who use allegories to teach. All kind of prose and poets and writers, good writers, they use stories to teach. Mike Courtney uses parables. He teaches by parables. How many have read any of his book, The John Book? Isn't that a wonderful book? I look forward to reading it a chapter or two every single day because he's such a storyteller. He uses stories to explain a spiritual truth. And a lot of people do that, and that's wonderful, and that's great, and they explain some wonderful truths. But this is not just your regular parable. Remember, the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word, that phrase, given by inspiration, means God-breathed. So these scriptures, Jesus is teaching here. So these scriptures, these scriptures literally, is God-inspired. They are God-inspired. They're not just telling the story about grandkids or telling the story about your work or telling the story about a relative. These are God-inspired stories. New Testament parables are stories which are God-breathed. God-inspired to teach us spiritual truth. So it's important that we listen and learn from these parables. We listen and learn. We listen and learn. Years ago, I spent two solid years, five days a week, studying Mark chapter 4. Two 
two, two solid years, five days a week, I spent in Mark chapter 4. I read it over a thousand times. I read it in the Greek. I read it in the Latin. I studied every word. I dissected every word. I read commentaries on Mark chapter 4. It, it became my life stream. And the reason I did that is because I read Mark chapter 4, verse 23 one day. Notice what verse 23 says. Anyone who with ears to hear should listen and understand. How many of you have ears to hear? It's not to hold your microphone. Your ears are to hear. Anyone has ears to hear should listen and understand. Verse 24. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. Pay close attention. Now, this is God speaking. This is God speaking. This, he's not just throwing out a suggestion here. This is God-inspired. He says, if you have ears to hear, you need to listen. And I read that and realized this is important here. He doesn't say that after every verse. And he doesn't say that preceding a lot of verses. There's only a few times in the whole New Testament does Jesus ever say, if you have ears to hear, you better listen. So when he says it, he's, he's getting ready to say something here that could change your life. And it literally changed my life. And because I heard him say that, and it spoke to my heart, I spent two years, five days a week, studying this, this passage of Scripture. Notice what he says. Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. I don't know about you, but the thought of more excites me. How many of you want more money? How many want more health? More joy? More peace for your family? Well, he says here, the, the closer you listen, the more. Everybody say more. The more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. All right? You'll receive even more. But for those who are not listening, how many times have we gone to church and the word of the Lord was proclaimed and by the time we got home, we couldn't even remember what was said? Guess what we were doing? We were not listening. And notice what he says. But for those who are not listening... Even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Verse 23 through 25 in the King James. This is the one I studied years ago because we didn't have all these other, all these other uh, translations. Uh, this was right after the Civil War. All right? You may, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, each shall be measured to you, and to you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath, to him shall be given, and he that hath not, from him shall be taken even that which he hath. I don't know about you, when I read that years ago, that so bothered me. It so bothered me. To him that hath shall be given. And to him that has not, shall be taken away even what he has. That so bothered me. Because I was raised a poor boy. I was raised in a poor family. 
My granddad on one side was a sharecropper. He never owned a home. He just followed the, he followed the crops from season to season, from town to town. My dad had to finish, quit school in the eighth grade to work on the farm. My granddad on the other side was a Pentecostal preacher when Pentecostal preachers were not popular. The most he ever made in a week was $42. My granddad and my grandmother and my mom and my uncle, when my mom was a little girl, they started a church in Gallatin, Tennessee, a storefront church, and the building is still up there. And they had church in the front, and they pulled a curtain, and they lived behind the curtain in that building. uh, And that's how they lived. So I didn't come from wealth. And the thought of taking it, because I, I always dreamed, well, I was raised where the rich ought to take care of the poor. And this I read, this, this I read says, to those who have, more will be given. And those who don't have, even that which they have shall be taken away. And that didn't go with my theology of a good, good father. Does anybody understand what I'm trying to get to here? See, see, we in America teach this, that, that all the rich are supposed to get, give all their money away to take care of the poor. But that's not what the kingdom of God teaches. The kingdom of God teaches to those that have will more be given. And to those who, who do not have, even that which they take away, even which they have, be taken away from them. And that bothered me. I struggled with that. And I began to question the Lord. And I spent these two years of studying this passage of Scripture. And then I suddenly begin to realize what Jesus is saying here. It doesn't make any difference how you was raised or how you, what you have or what you don't have or your lack or your inability or your education or your opportunities or your lack of opportunity. It doesn't make any difference if you'll hear His Word and continue to hear His Word. He in turn, to those who continue to hear, will get more. In other words, he's putting the responsibility of our blessings upon us instead of someone else. See? And as I read that, and I studied that, I suddenly saw, said, I don't want to live the rest of my life the way I'm living. I don't want to live broke and poor and, and needy and always looking for somebody else to meet my needs and always being a victim. I don't want to live that way the rest of my life. That's the way I was raised. I was always taught you'll never be able to go here. You'll never be able to do this. You'll never have that. You'll never be able to live in that neighborhood. You'll never be able to go on this trip. You'll never be able to... It it was always for those other people because we're poor. We're broke. We're old Pentecostals. We're on the other side of the track. Nobody cares about us. They throw rocks at us. They don't care about us. They make fun of us. We're not included. And I didn't want to live that way. And I decided that if, if God's a good God, then he's got to play equal across the whole, the whole gamut of all of humanity. And I discovered that he, does, he is very equal across humanity. He says to everybody, if you want more, you hear more. That's exactly what he says. Now read it with that in mind. Notice what he says. Let's read it again. Verse 24. Pay a close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding will be given 
and you will receive even what? More. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. And I realized right then, it's not who I was born to. It's not how much brains I have. It's not my opportunities that I have or don't have. It's not who I know or who I don't know. It literally comes down to my getting close to Jesus and letting him fill me with his word. And understanding will come and understanding opens the door to opportunities. So I started listening. I, I, I dug into it, I read it, I studied it, I memorized it. Mark chapter 4 became what I stayed in every single day. Jesus says, the more you hear and desire to understand, the more you will receive. But those who refuse to hear, the little they have will be taken away from them. Have you, um, have you ever experienced someone who at one time was passionate about God or knows somebody who at one time was passionate about God, about God, but for whatever reason they turned away? Those same people now are involved in behaviors and attitudes that are the exact opposite of what they used to be. And you look at those people, Amanda and I look at people, we've, we've been in this journey for a long time, and we've seen people get all fired up about Jesus. and Jesus does wonderful things for them because he's a good, good father. And he does wonderful things for them. And they serve him for a while. And then for whatever reason, they turn away. And now we see them and watch their behavior and their attitudes. And, and we kind of scratch our head. And, and you normally say, what happened to them? What in the world happened to them? You know what I'm talking Anybody know people like that? We all know people like that. This, this scripture gives us the answer. Notice what it says. Those who refuse to hear, the little they have will be taken away from them. Somewhere they stop listening. They stopped obeying. They stopped pursuing. They stopped seeking. And notice what happens if we stop listening, if we stop pursuing, if we stop seeking, if we stop obeying. Notice what happens. The little we have, guess what? Will be taken away. And all of a sudden now, the things that we used to detest, we're now doing them. Why? Because those things that we had have been taken away from us. That's why it's continually important to grow in our faith. Then the next few verses are some of the most overlooked verses in the New Testament. But they answer so many questions. Pick it up in Mark chapter 4 verse 26. Look at Mark chapter 4 verse 26. Here's another story, he says. I'm going to tell you another story, another parable. Illustrating what the kingdom of God is like. He says, here's how the kingdom operates, right here. He says, a farmer sowed his field and went away, and as the days went by... The seeds grew and grew without his help. For the soil made the seeds grow. First a leaf blade pushed through, and later the heads of wheat formed, and finally the grain ripened. And then the farmer came at once with his sickle and harvested. And you know what I learned from my study of two years of that chapter, and now seen it happen for the last 30 years? The kingdom of God 
the kingdom of God comes to pass in our life by process, not by the suddenly. The kingdom of God comes to pass in our life by process, not by the suddenly. See, then this is hard for us because we are creatures of instant gratification. And I'm guilty. If I drive by Starbucks, I did it this morning. I drove by the Starbucks, on, and I, somebody gave me a Starbucks gift card, so I, I got me a gift card, and I'm going to drink me a Starbucks. So I, it's hard for me to spend $5 for a cup of coffee when I can go to McDonald's now and get the senior discount <laughs> and get seven cups of coffee, what you can get for one Starbucks. And... And I drove by Starbucks this morning with my gift card. I said, I'm going to treat myself to a treat. And there was three cars in line. And I kept driving. Because I can't stand to wait. I'm guilty. I, if, if, if there's less than three cars, I know one's ordering. and They'll be up there to get their drink by the time I get there. One's getting going to have their order done by the time I get there. So there's really only one person I need to get behind. I got it figured out. If there's three cars or less, I'm pulling in. If there's more than three cars, I'm not waiting. I just can't stand it. Things to do, people to see. Money's time. So uh, I love Chick-fil-A, but I never get to eat there because you can't. I'm not waiting in line. I love it. I love Chick-fil-A. I can either go when they open or I can go when they're getting ready to close. But any other time, I might as well forget. I had not even been to this one down here yet. have not even been. I drive by it every day, look through the drive-thru line. They not only have one line with 20 cars, they have two lines with 20 cars. And I think about those people at the back. And I'm thinking, don't you have anything to do in life worthwhile but sit in the Chick-fil-A line? Get a life. Get a job. We're people of instant gratification. We want the the suddenlies. We want the instantaneous. And I'm going to tell you, we Pentecostal people, we have made our people uh, enablers along that because we tell everybody, just come up here and get prayed and it'll instantly happen. It'll instantly happen. And we, honestly, so many of our people, they leave our services after being prayed, prayed for, disappointed more than encouraged because it didn't instantly happen. And sometimes things do instantly happen. We've seen God move instantly and suddenly. He sometimes does that. But His kingdom normally operates by process and not by the suddenlies. And we don't like that. We are a culture that desires instant gratification. Our computers, our phones, our tablets, all of our technology, we want it faster and faster. How many remember when you used to click on to your computer, the Internet, and you heard this ding, 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 ding. Anybody remember that? I'm going to tell you, if you did that nowadays, kids would think you're crazy. They'll think you're crazy. We want it faster. We would prefer everything we we want to manifest suddenly. That's just the flesh nature. 
We want it, and we want it now. But the kingdom of God does not operate according to our flesh desires. The kingdom of God operates by process. Listen, our babies are impatient. Babies are impatient. They want something now, and if they don't get it, they throw a fit. We, we have been introduced to grandchildren. And the only difference between grandchildren and your own children is that grandchildren's fits are funny. Your own children's fits are embarrassing. All right? Is that not the truth? Your own children, when they throw a fit, it's embarrassing. When your grandchildren throw a fit, it's funny. And we've got a little three-year-old that when she wants something, if she don't get it, we she even got down in the floor and was kicking her legs. I just thought that was the funniest thing. I, our children, we didn't allow our children to do that. And she did that. And I just look at her, isn't that funny? And her mama's so embarrassed. And I, it's the funniest. She's just impatient. She's throwing a fit. Yet when it often comes to spiritual things, if we don't get what we're praying for immediately, or things don't work out immediately, we get mad. We pout. We blame God. We quit church. And in all honesty, we're just throwing an adult fit. We're just throwing a spiritual fit. We likewise are spiritual babies. Babies don't... Here, listen to this. Babies don't receive adult gifts. Some of the gifts of God are for adults. And babies don't get adult gifts. Babies get baby gifts. Babies get rattlers. Babies don't get wisdom and understanding the kingdom of God the fruit of the spirit answers to prayer the working of the spirit in us and through us normally arrive in our life through process not instantaneous not instantaneous look at Mark chapter 4 verse 28 I'm going to read it out of the, the living Bible Mark chapter 4 verse 28 says this For the soil made the seeds grow. First a leaf blade pushed through, and later the heads of wheat form, and finally the grain ripened. The King James says it this way. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. What's he talking about? He's talking about a process. You pray... You believe God for something, and guess what happens? First the blade, then you water the seed, then the ear, then you water it and give it some time, and then finally the full corn in the ear, and then finally the harvest. There's no such thing as planting today and reaping a full harvest tomorrow. And yet that's the way... We want it to happen, but that's not the way the kingdom of God operates. That's the reason when it comes to healing. You plant seeds of divine healing in your life every day. Every day, because we're at different stages of healing. See, 
A lot of people, they don't even think about healing. They don't believe in healing. They're not taught healing. They don't pray for healing. They've never read anything on healing. They don't go to a church that teaches healing. They don't go to a church that practices divine healing or lays hands on people. And all of a sudden, they go to a doctor, and the doctor says, you've got less than a year to live. And now, all of a sudden, they want an instant miracle. And see, they've just, they're trying to, they're contradicting everything that the, how the kingdom of God operates. Everybody with me? See, it's first the blade, then the ear, then the forecorn in the ear. If you're praying for a child now or a grandchild that's not serving the Lord, you want them to get saved today. I want them to get saved today. And you might have prayed for them for a week and seen nothing. And now you've just gotten frustrated and discouraged and don't understand why God won't move. Don't understand why. And yet we have to to understand it's first the blade, then sow some more water, give it some time. Get rid of the weeds, and then it's the ear, and then it's the full. It's a process. Don't ever give up. Keep planting. Keep watering. Keep sowing. Keep nurturing. Continue it. And let God's process come to pass in our lives. Here's something else, number three. Satan's kingdom operates the same way by process. Satan's kingdom... See, God. if God operates by process, Satan has to operate by process. That's the way the kingdom of God operates. It's by process. Satan does not have the ability or power to overcome someone immediately and destroy their life. Neither can he immediately consume someone with a stronghold. You don't have to worry about waking up tomorrow, Bubba, and be bound by alcohol. David, you don't have to worry about waking up tomorrow and out of the clear blue and being bound by fear. You don't have to worry about waking up tomorrow and be bound by some type of perversion. Because Satan doesn't have the ability to put it on you and overwhelm you. If he develops any type of stronghold in our life, any type of hindrance, any type of fortress that keeps us from being or receiving God's best, if he does anything in our life, he has to do it through process. See, he, he, he is not more powerful than God, and God has limited himself to a process. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. Likewise, the same way with Satan. It's first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. You don't wake up tomorrow, never drank before, and all of a sudden you wake up tomorrow and you're an alcoholic. You don't wake up tomorrow and never had a problem with pornography, and tomorrow you're a sexual deviant. Satan doesn't have that. He doesn't, people say to me all the time, I've heard them say, Christians say, well, you've got to watch out. You know, Satan's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, yes, he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But he can only devour people who will give him permission to devour their life. See, it's first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. In fact, the Bible teaches us how Satan's strongholds work. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says in the New King James, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Everybody say strongholds. Everybody say strongholds. What's a stronghold? The word stronghold there in the literal Greek literally means a fortress. A fortress. We'd say it this way. 
anything, a, a demonic stronghold is anything that in our life that prohibits us from receiving or being God's best. Anything. Anything in our life that prohibits us from receiving or being God's best. That's a stronghold. It can be anything from fear to alcoholism to nicotine addiction to addiction to some type of prescription drugs to prescription to illegal drugs. It can be sexual perversion. It could be jealousy. It could be unforgiveness. Okay? It could be some kind of insecurity. It because uh, some type that was brought on by some abuse that you hap- happened to you before you even had the ability to protect yourself when you were a child. It's become a stronghold in your life. The Bible says here, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You say, Pastor, that's awful muddy. It's awful muddy. Yeah, it's awful muddy. Let me, let me do it from the King James. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Most Christians have never seen it. I didn't see it for years until I dug into this chapter and asked the Lord to help me because of depression that was in my life. And the Lord showed me, once again, the more I heard, the more I grew in understanding and I was able to come out of my depression. The Lord showed me how that whole thing developed in my life. It wasn't I was a happy-go-lucky guy and all of a sudden one day while I was asleep, Satan put a spirit of depression on me and I woke up the next morning and I was depressed for the next year and got so paranoid I wouldn't leave my house. He doesn't have that power. That's not the way it happened. Notice what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Put it back up there, Brother Jamie. Notice what it says. Casting, verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Look at verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are, 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 the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. There's three words there you need to understand in those, two, three, in those three verses. The words are strongholds. The King James says imaginations are or arguments, and then the other one is thoughts. Strongholds, imaginations, thoughts. Here's what you've got to understand. The stronghold is the final result. That's what Satan wants to happen to you. He wants to develop a stronghold in your life. He wants to develop a fortress. He wants to have a a beachhead continually in your life that he can launch an attack against you at will. A stronghold. He wants that. He wants that. He wants to have you perverted in some area or bound in some area or broken in some area or wounded in some area that you can never get over so he can touch that when he wants to and cause that pain to hurt you or to keep you. Anytime you get ready to move forward for God, he'll just touch that pain with a memory. He'll touch that wound with a thought and it pulls you back and it prohibits you from being God's best. That's what he wants, a stronghold. Well, how does he get that stronghold there? He doesn't have the power just to throw it on us when we're sleeping. How did it get there? It began with a thought. It began with a thought. It begins with a thought. 
How does sexual perversion begin? It begins with a single thought. How does drug addiction begin? It begins with a, dr- a, a, a single thought. I think I'll try this. How does alcoholism begin? It begins with a single drink and a single thought. I think I'll try this. It begins with a thought. That's why the Bible says take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. If we don't take those thoughts captive, they'll turn into arguments or imaginations. You know what an imagination, it comes from the Hebrew word image. It's a picture. You know what an imagination is. It's a picture of our thoughts. It's a picture of our thoughts. I can't tell you the number of couples I've dealt with who've had infidelity in their relationship. And they'll all tell me the same thing. You know, I I just started thinking about it, and before long I started picturing me being with her or being with him. That thought, they didn't take their thought captive. See, if we'll take our, our sinful thought captive and do our warfare right there, it'll never get any further in our life than a thought. But if we don't take our thought captive, it'll turn into a picture. It'll become an image in your mind. We call it, The world calls it fantasy. Anybody with me? And then before long, if you just keep rehearsing that over and over in your mind, then it becomes a stronghold. You've got to act on it. You've got to act on it. But that's all process. So God's kingdom comes to pass in our life by process. Satan's kingdom comes to pass in our life by process. And we've got to understand that. That's why we don't just live any way we want to live and think any way we want to think and then just go to church and have a Holy Ghost service and everything's okay. Because it's a process has been working in us all week long, all month long. There's a process working in us. Remember what Jesus said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So there's a process working. Now the thing is, what process is working in us this week? Is negative working in us? Is accusations against our brothers working in us? Is unforgiveness working in us? Is fear working in us? What's been chipping away at us all week long? Or is love and joy and peace and faith and divine healing and God's blessings upon our life and being an overcomer, that's what's working in us. You say, well, I'm not there yet. No, but you're in the process. You're in the process of being more than a conqueror. You're in the process. Well, pastor, I got prayed for that the Lord would just give me more joy and I, I just, just nothing's happening. Well, you're in the process. Just keep exercising. Keep planting. Just keep sowing it. Does everybody understand what I'm talking to you about? And every time we hear the word, we're hearing more. We're hearing more. And the more we're hearing, the more understanding we're getting, and the more he's giving us. Next time when we meet on Wednesday night, because I'm hungry and I'm going. And you're, we got, I've had just two people sleep tonight, and I'm pretty excited about that. Bubba's the only guy I know that can snore with his eyes open. So anyway... Mark chapter 4, those four, there's four categories you and I fall into. Tonight, when you hear this word that I've taught you, you're in one of these four categories. Before you get home, Satan's going to steal it. That's one category. Or some of you are going to hear it and say, boy, that's good stuff. I'm going to put that to work. And you're going to let it get in your heart a little bit. And then next week sometime... Some affliction or persecution is going to come because you put the word to work. 
I see this happen all the time. People will start believing in divine healing, and then a relative gets sick and dies, and all they, they just get offended. Affliction arises for the word's sake. So that's the second category. The third category is that you're going to hear the word. You might be one that hears the word, and it gets in your heart. Boy, you're doing good. In fact, you're doing so good, and you're growing so much. you got so many things going on in your life that all these other things just choke the word and its effectiveness out. We see that happening all the time. People get all excited about Jesus, and they do good, and they run a good race. And then all of a sudden, life hits them, and they're not, their bad, they're not bad people. They're wonderful people. They love Jesus. But they stop their devotions. They stop their church attendance. They've got to go this ball game. They've got to go this. They've got to go do this. They've got to do that. They've got to take this vacation. They've got to be a family. Got to do, and, they just, and all these other things just stop them in their spiritual journey. Wonderful people, but that's that third category. And then there's one other category. That's the people who hear the word and it gets in their heart. And they start growing. They grow and they produce fruit. So we all, we all, we're in one of four. Every time you go to a Bible study, every life group, every church service, we're one of four. The next time we'll talk about each individual one. And here's the thing you've got to realize more than any. Satan is not after you. He's after the Word. He don't, want, he don't care about you. He don't care about me. But me and you with the Word of God, we become a potent force that he cannot stand. So he's after the Word. That's why the Bible says the first category is those people that hear the Word and he comes immediately. That's the ones that you leave tonight and by the time you get home, you've forgotten what was said. You know what happened? Satan came and stole it before it ever got in your heart. I've been that way. I've been that way. As many church services I've been to, there's been a lot that I've left, and I was the preacher. And I couldn't remember by the time I got to the restaurant what I preached on. Satan came and stole the word out of my heart, and I was the one that preached. I was the sower of the seed. He just stole the seed right out of my hand. It happens to all of us, so don't feel bad. Let's just hear and learn and grow and listen and, boom and, and, be, and do better.